Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad Podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. Chapter 1, verse 6. So Joseph, kind of a little bit of background, I guess, here. Why are they in Egypt? We'll see that they're in Egypt at this point. Uh, why? Because Joseph was sold into slavery and brought into Egypt, and God had used him for this time. He was a man of integrity, even though he was constantly maligned, uh, and he was lied about, and he found himself uh, in trouble multiple times for things he didn't do wrong, and just, just rough, rough, you know, hand dealt to him. Uh, but he continued to choose to honor God, and because of his faithfulness, God used him to save the people of Egypt, but also even his own family by stowing away food, knowing that, the, uh, that there was going to be a drought, and that there was going to be years of plenty, and then there was going to be years of drought, and so he was able to uh, maintain an, enough food for not just them, but for others, and brought a lot of money into the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh trusted him with his signet ring like he was number two right, in all the land, and so there was a really good relationship there, and the end of Genesis, we see um, Jacob and his family have come back, they are, they, or have come to Egypt, and they're living there, and they're, they're being blessed, uh, and it's, it's a good season for now. Uh, pick up in chapter 6, I'm sorry, verse 6, chapter 1, and Joseph died, and Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation but the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, uh, abundantly multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So this new king didn't know Joseph, didn't know uh, how close he was to the other Pharaoh, and had no respect for him and his people. Uh, the children of Israel at this point, which would be those who are under the lineage of Abraham, right? That's the set-apart people where God would make him a people. So it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This was the children of Israel, God's special people that would be set apart from all other nations so that they could, be, they could look different and God could bless them and he could show what he can do in the lives of these people if, if he's in charge, if he rules. And so... Uh, they're blessed. They're doing really well. They're being fruitful. And so what happens? This king does not know Joseph. Verse 9. And he said to his people, look, the people of, uh, of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with, met, with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But they afflicted them the more, and they multiplied and grew. And they were the dread, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with vigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Um, he's freaking out. There's more. There's starting to be almost more of them than us. And so they, there's. This is a fear move. He's like, we've got to start getting them under control. But it seems like everything that he tried, they just multiplied even more. So now he's forcing them to do hardcore labor. 
they're working hard making bricks and they're, they're, they're just laboring with like just, it's a brutal season. And this is, Moses is going to be the one that's going to bring them out. That's when we just celebrated for Easter, the Passover, uh, the children of Israel being released from this hardcore bondage, like, like slavery that they were in. It was like, not just like, you know, they were treating them pretty nice, like a bond servant, but these were like, they were in, they were being pushed and forced down as much as possible. And yet they were still multiplying. So the persecution didn't accomplish what they had hoped for. Uh, what's interesting is we see this, it's kind of the same thing as the, the, the early church. Whenever you'd see persecution, what would end up happening, the church would grow. And it would spread out, and it would almost be like it would get worse, you know? Remember when you were a kid, you'd find a dandelion? Like the ones that you just can, and you go, oh, this is so cool. Look at all these dandelions. And you go, pick it up, and you blow. And you're like, dad's like, no. <laughs> like, you're literally putting seeds all over the yard for more of those. And you're like, cool. Like, that's more to do, you know, more dandelions to be able to, you know, blow off into the wind, you know, and feel very whimsical. But the idea is that once you, once you blow on it, it doesn't just stay stagnant, go, oh, bummer. It's like, it spreads like wildfire. And we see this in the early church. And we see this in the children of Israel, that even though they were persecuted, they were still blessed. And so uh, we see the the Pharaoh at the time has doubled down. He's going even harder and it's going to get worse. Now the king of Egypt, verse 15, spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one of them was Shifra and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a, of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called uh, for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are like are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save. Wild story. Not what you're expecting from Mother's Day, I'm sure, right? It's a wild story though. And what's really wild about it is we have this Pharaoh this powerful king, ruler of Egypt. And he remains unnamed. There's no name. Pharaoh's a title. It's not a name. And yet we have these, these midwives who are named and are honored because they chose to serve the, the living God, not this guy, Pharaoh, and do these evil things. So I think that's a really interesting point. Like, this is who God remembers, these are the people that are really important in his kingdom. We, it's an upside down thing, right? The least is greatest and greatest least. And so they're honoring God, even though they were told to do this and they were probably, I mean, this is a gnarly thing if they get caught. And, and then they give like that slight, I love that like thing where they said, they're not like the Egyptian women, they're gnarly. Like they just have them before we even get there. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah, they are gnarly. So he's like slamming, they're slamming the Egyptian women and at the same time saying, we can't control them, they just, they just go for it. And uh, what's, what's the thing here we notice? 
Even when in a hostile territory, under hostile orders, God makes a way for these women to honor him and not bow to the king of the day. That's a really important thing for us to understand, that God will make a way for those who choose to honor him no matter what. And they were greatly blessed by it, right? God dealt well with the midwives, right? And then he ends up... They feared God and he made, he provided households for them. He was taking care of the whole thing, right? And then what, what's, what's the solution? Let's get rid of the men. What does this sound like? Get rid of all the men, just the girls. Not good, not good, right? They're, they're probably like sex slaves. And at the very least, what they would do is erase this people group by intermarrying with them. And now all of a sudden, they're not a set-apart people. And that's what a lot of the law is about, is about them being set apart, looking different than everyone else, being different than everyone else. This would be an attack on them to try to muddy the waters and intermarry and and remove this place where the people of the children of Israel have a, a people and so it's, it's a really gnarly thing. Of course, also, they're getting rid of the sons because they're the ones that are going to end up going to war against them eventually as well. So, but interesting, I, th- I just like that point that Shifra and Pua's names are in the Bible and Pharaoh's is not with all his clout. And, uh, and also, he doesn't get what he wants anyway. Um, so, okay, so then we're in chapter two, and this is where we really get into what we're talking about today. It was kind of like background to understand what's going on. Uh, this is when Moses is born during this time. Could you imagine being in labor during that time? It's like wild to think about, you know? I remember um, we, weren't, we weren't having a kid at the time, but people would, were freaking out when there was the Zika virus, remember? People were pregnant, were like, oh no, you know, and there's always something, always something. Always, you know, it's, there's always something to be terrified about in the world if you allow it. But like, could you imagine a child being born at this time? You're like, uh, what, what am I going to do? So uh, a man of the house, Levi, went and took uh, as wife a daughter of Levi. So Levi is one of the tribes, right? One of the sons and of Jacob. And which, which tribe is Levi? The priests, Right. Uh, and that's going to be really important because we're going to see Moses and Aaron serving in this priestly manner. Aaron is the high priest, but I think Moses does just as much priestly stuff as Aaron does. Uh, Moses is seen as a Christ type, an early Christ type, as a mediator for the people. He goes before God and he offers himself even uh, for his people. He's an amazing man of God. He had a lot of flaws. He actually ends up not getting into the promised land. Uh, but he is still does some amazing things uh, for God. But it's important. He's from that tribe of Levi. So verse 2. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Now, every mom thinks their kid's beautiful, right? You heard the saying, like, uh, a face only a mother could love. <laughs> That's true, though, you know. I think there's a Seinfeld episode about that or something. It's like... Oh, you know, but when you, it's your baby, you're just like, you are beautiful. I mean, maybe you're, you're just totally gnarly and you say, yeah, just not a good looking kid. I love him to death, but you know, but she sees him as a beautiful child. Um, 
I did some research on this. Uh, it, it could be. Some believe that Moses had some sort of supernatural type thing to where they knew this was a special guy. Uh, but I, I also heard that his mom just saw value in him. She saw that he was valued. She saw that he was beautiful. And while Pharaoh thinks that these boys are meant to be thrown in the river as trash, she doesn't see it that way. She sees this as a life that's really, really important and really valuable. And what's interesting is, I mean, think about all the, the DNA and the fingerprints and how we're all different. Is that wild? Like, like think about that even in the, as we think about the body of Christ, how important each part of the body is. And now imagine his mom just kind of went with the, all right, that's just the way it is. I don't like it, but, you know, this is where we're at. But she saw value in him. She saw him as beautiful. Moses' mom's name is Jochebed. You can see that in Exodus chapter 6. Uh, and she, but she ascribes value to Moses. And, and it's even when it could cause her great harm. I mean, this could cause her great harm hiding him. So she's hiding him for three months. She has him. She doesn't know what she's going to do next. But she sees value in him. So we got a couple points here I kind of wanted to hit as we go through here. We can see him. Mothers see value where others miss it. Isn't that true, moms? You look at your kids, and you know every little terrible part about them, right? You just know it. But you see, you see value. You see purpose. You see something in them. I think that's vitally important. Vitally important. We need moms to be able to speak into their children's lives and see something in them. You know, as a, as a current and as a culture is going a certain direction, literally killing the boys, she says, nope, not my son. You are not taking my son. That boy is fearfully and wonderfully made, and he has a purpose here on this earth. I can see it in him. You know, one of the things that kids struggle the most with is uh, being told that they're worthy, that they're enough, that, they're, that they have value. People are dying for value. Like they want to find value somehow. And so, so many of the exploits of youth that you see is trying to find a place where you can fill this need for, does someone think I'm good for something? Even anything, I'll sell it for cheap. Is that sad? You know what mothers and fathers do? They, they pull their kids aside and say, you, you are not cheap. You're worth something. You're worth a lot. You're so valuable to me. That's the heart of God. And so, there's, so there's the smaller understanding of mom seeing this in people. We get this understanding of we see it in one another. No one here is disposable. There's no one here that is like, ah, we don't need them. Ah, they can go. Ah, no, we're all better because we're together of what God's doing in our life. So we mothers are able to see values, uh, see value even when others don't. So she's been hiding him for three months. Now what? She couldn't hide him anymore in verse three. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, uh, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river bank, river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. So we have uh, Moses in this, it's like a type, right? This ark 
where everybody's dying and this is the only way out. So we have this little boat that's been pitched with, with tar and, and asphalt just like, uh, just like the, the ark, like Noah's ark. And so we have Moses in, in, in a way as another representation, representative to be able to get through this. To, to go out on a journey when everybody else is dying, he's going to go embark on a wild journey through this on his boat. And so his sister stood afar off. Uh, when I was doing some research, Miriam, his sister, they said she was about six years old. This is an outstanding six-year-old. I have a six-year-old, you know, little Hazel. You see her bopping around with her overalls, you know. She's an outstanding sister. So, and you could imagine she's, very traumatized by what could happen to her brother. But she's a safer bet. She's watching him to see what's going to happen next. Um, another point, right? Our first one was what? Mothers see value even when others don't. Mothers make a way for their kids, don't they? I, how, your mom could do miracles with whatever's left in the kitchen, right? <laughs> or so, You know what I mean? Like, oh, man, we'll figure something out. Tori will be like, we haven't gone to grocery shopping, and all of a sudden, she'll pull something out. Like, oh, we'll get this, and we'll get this, and we'll get this, and we'll just, boom. All of a sudden, everybody's happy, and they're eating. We're like, yeah. You know, mothers make a way for their kids. It's amazing to see. And, and that's what we're seeing up right now. She, we're seeing right now from, from Moses' mom. She's making a way. It's, a, it's, a, it is an, and it's also important to understand, this is an absolute exercise of faith. She has an absolute, she doesn't know what else she's going to do. It's her, her last ditch. She came up with the best she could come up with. And she's, I'm sure, prayerfully sending him on. God, you know what's going to happen next. I also think it's important to understand mo mothers don't give up on their kids either. Please don't give up on your kids. You know, how many of you guys were the ones that could have easily had your mom give up on you and yet now you're here? Like, a lot of us, Right? Like, don't give up on your kids. Keep on loving. Keep on speaking life into them. You gotta speak life into your kids. You gotta show them a way. You gotta see the things inside of them and help them cultivate it. What is the thing you're, what are you geared for? What are you meant to do? And help, let me help you get there. Because idle hands, they don't do so good, right? But when we have a vision, we, have, we see value. We, we make a way, however we can, to not give up, to, to bring them in, to, to bless them. So if this faithful attempt to save Moses' life, man, she is not giving up. And this, this story, this whole story, is Abrahamic righteousness all over the place. Because Abraham, was, what's the deal? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It was faith. But how did that actually play out? You've, if you've been here at any, for any amount of time, you've probably heard me say these things, but they're worth repeating because it's, you know, it's, it's the story. <laughs> Abrahamic righteousness, this kind of faith is what? Loyal to God above all other gods. How did that work out? Abraham went in the middle of Baal land and he set up a, an altar and sacrificed it to the living God. I'm not scared of your other gods. I don't bow to your other gods. Where do we see that? Shifra and Pua. Nope, we ain't messing around. We're gonna, we're gonna do the right thing no matter what. Where do we see that? Jacobed. I'm gonna make a way. I'm not, I'm not going that way. We're gonna, we're gonna save this kid. 
So loyalty, so loyalty to God above all others, Abrahamic righteousness, trust God even when it makes no sense. And remember how that played out was, hey, you're going to have a baby, 90 years old. Makes no sense. Just trust him anyway. I'm going to make you a great nation. It doesn't make any sense. I'm going to trust you anyway. So what, what does Moses' mom see? Value in her son. She sees that there's something really great for him, but the future seems very unknown how you're going to get there. Like, you know, God's going to take care of it, but how in the world is it going to, how in the world is this going to turn out for good? The next one, obedience, which is to do justice and righteousness. To be full of justice and to live out righteousness. Do really important things and then look for the provision of the Messiah. God is going to come through for you. He will take care of it. He's, he's the one that's been writing this story from the beginning to the end. So this is a tense scene. He's in the boat. His six-year-old sister's watching. Who knows what's going to happen next, right? He's, a little, he's in a little basket that's floating down the river. I, I, I got to see that. I'd love to see what is in the world. Okay. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. So we don't know really too much about Pharaoh's daughter. Um, some believe that she's in the household of Pharaoh, just like, you know, the, these were the daughters and family of Levi, like, you know, but could very well be his, his straight-up daughter. He, she had a servant to go get the baby. She recognizes he's a Hebrew, and yet she has compassion on this baby. What an, what an unlikely source, right? And, and, and think about this in, in parenting. How often does God do something so unlikely? Think about this in, in life. When things are, are gnarly and hard, God does things in such crazy, unlikely ways if we continue to trust in him and believe that he can do anything in any way, at any time, anyhow. Just don't lose hope. So, um, yeah, we don't know. We know she has a source that she's, she's got compassion for the baby. We don't know if she's against, she thinks it's like bad that her dad's doing this. She, like that's her rebellion. Like, gosh, dad, you know, like, or, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to be part of what you're doing. I don't know. Who knows? But God's going to use her big time. So then verse 7, here we go. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse a child for you? So who, who said this? Six-year-old Miriam. Don't you love that? When you think, what, how did Jesus view the children? Because you know, in that, at that time, right now, children are the center of the whole universe. At that time, they were not. They're like, get the kids out of here. The adults need to talk. If you grew up in the 80s, it was a little bit more like that, you know? Go, go do something, I don't know. Start a hill on fire, you know? We're going to play Scrabble, you know? I don't know. Now it's like, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? You know, which is, you know, we're kind of on the, the pendulum swing, I guess. But... The kids weren't, had not a lot of value in what Jesus says. Don't, no, don't forbid them to come. This is, these are who the kingdom, this is the type of people I want to be around. God loves kids. And, and can encourage you, uh, 
a lot of times when things get tense and things kind of get gnarly, people go, oh, we better not have any kids. The world's getting dark. Well, then have kids that will bear light. <laughs> That's such a defeatist mentality. Do we think that Satan is greater than God? Do we believe that he's got like, you know, oh, shoot. If, he, if we do this, then he's going to do that. Uh, no, we bear up children that believe and trust. Why? Because we hold these things dear. We train them. We love on them. What do you think those three months look like initially with uh, Moses' mom? I bet you she cherished every single second of that. And then we're going to see a very unexpected turn here. So his sister says, shall I go call a nurse for you from a Hebrew woman that she may nurse the child for you? Basically, like, that baby needs milk, and I, should I go get someone who could do that? So what does she do? <laughs> she gets her mom. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the women took the child and nursed him. She's getting paid to raise her child. So you go take him. You go take him, and, 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 and I'm going to pay you some wages. I'm going to give you rewards for, for helping me out like this. And she's like, oh, no problem. Uh, so eventually we'll see the child grows and is weaned, uh, but we, it's believed that this is three to five years where Moses would be spending time with his mom all the time. And do you know what she's probably telling him the whole time? She's probably talking to him about God. She's talking to him about who, his people, about who he is, all these different things, sharing, loving on him, doing everything she can to raise him with this short amount of time that she has with him. And so I think that what's so cool is that sometimes you find unexpected blessings, right, when you're raising kids. Uh, for, if, you have, if you have children, you know it's one of the hardest things in the world to raise kids. I mean, you just find out. And, and there's always like that chipper, I'm about to have a kid. Like, we've got to figure it out. Our life's not going to change. And you're like, cool. And you used to say, no, it will change. And now it's just more fun to watch, you know. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. They'll totally adapt to you completely and not have any of a mind of their own or anything, right? So, but there's unexpected blessings Things you would never have imagined, right? Even enjoying, learning the joy of being selfless. Because we're largely selfish. We're on our own. You know, you grow up as a child and you kind of like are selfish. Like, feed me, help me. Get, can I have a car? Can I, you know, have money? Can I do this? Can I do that? Oh, the gas tank's empty again, you know? And then you are an, a young adult and you make your own money and you do whatever you want with it. Then you get married and that's an exercise in selflessness. And then you have a child and that's really an exercise in selflessness. And you start to find out that the joy is not in being served, but in serving. You start to realize that Christmas day is more fun when your kids are opening presents than when you are. So there's lots of unexpected blessings. This is an unbelievable unexpected blessing. And it seemed completely improbable. I'm sure there was a million scenarios in Jacobed's head, but this probably wasn't one of them. But there's little, little Miriam. I love that. She's like, I think I know someone who could help you. <laughs> so verse 10, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. 
and he became her son. So she called his name Moses because I drew him out of the water. Now, this is the last one that I think is really important. Uh, it's kind of a sad thought to think, man, her son is now out of her care and has now gone to live like in Pharaoh's house. One of the hardest things is in being a parent is recognizing that our, ch- our children are, are with us for a season, but they don't belong to us. That there's like a greater purpose for them. And our job is to be stewards of, of, of learn, helping them grow. It's like on loan, on lease. Like you get them for a season, but they belong to God. And I think that there's so much, I think there's so much added anxiety and stress when you think they belong to you. Like this is this is I, I've got to I've got to do this I got to do this I got they we are stewards with these kids because guess what they all end up eventually growing up and moving out and doing all kinds of, you know, like where you're no longer have that same kind of control on them so it's important as mothers and and maybe you have young kids and this is so this is right now right here right now maybe you have older kids maybe you don't have kids. But it's understanding that kids are a blessing from God to be stewarded, blessed, like uh, trained, discipled for his glory. They're not ours. They don't belong to me. I remember uh, my good friend Jeff, uh, he was my first friend to have a kid. And And I was like, I think they were like 20 or something. And it was like pretty young. And he brings his, his son out of the like, hospital to meet me or out of the room. And he's like, look, it's Isaac. His name's Isaac. And he says, and he holds him up and he says, this child belongs to you, Lord. And I was like, whoa. Just kind of like, was like, that's intense. Like you just got him. He's like, this kid is yours, God. He belongs to you. This is, he's not mine. Like I get an opportunity to do with him what I, I, get, I get a lot of opportunities with them. I get a lot of being able to be with them, but they belong to God. So what do we do with that season of our life? We think about like the, the, there's all kinds of parables about wasting opportunities given to us. What an amazing opportunity we have raising children. But if we think it's all about us trying to preserve our way, our life, our thinking, our everything, then we're going to be really frustrated and keep all the safety and all the peace and keep all the bad out. It's, it's impossible. We are here to steward for a season the children that God has entrusted in our place. As my, and, and I know that might sound like, man, that's, that's like hard to hear. It's also relieving. They belong to the Lord. We just train them up in the way they should go. Pray that they're going to return, you know, continue in that. And you, and you give them this, uh, relate, you, you have relationship with them when you have conversation with them and you always remind them they belong to the Lord first. He is primary. So it's not just about, and this is where things get really gnarly with kids. When we start trying to, and I see it a lot because I'm involved in youth baseball. It's like, I'm going to make my kid into what I was not. So you're going to be a better version of me in this. You go like, is that what you're supposed to do? That sounds a lot like it's just about you. 
How about you find out your kid is like actually better at playing piano and is like into that? You know what? He's been given to me to be stewarded, not to be frustrated, but to be blessed, to be built up, to be encouraged, to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Like you're a leader, you're in your own home. We're eight, we've given this amazing opportunity as parents, if you are a parent. If you're not a parent, you're still given amazing opportunities. And if you're like, man, I wish I could be a blessing and, and speak into kids' lives, we have children's ministry. We have youth ministry. <laughs> Come on down. The fields are white for harvest. <laughs> but the idea is like we can be a blessing to these people around us and, and these kids around us and to build into them and to speak into them. Uh, you know, when I did youth ministry for many years, I just noticed whenever I saw something in someone, and, and I didn't see them as a problem, but I saw them as like a blessing. Like, you're here for a reason. I know why you're here. You're here for a reason. You see, you know what? God's got something for your life, and you speak into those kids' lives, and they would light up. And whatever you tell them, they would go for it. You know, it's like, all right, hey, wow, you know what? You're pretty good at guitar. Guess what? The next thing you know, they got a guitar. You know, wow, you sing pretty good. Next thing you know, they're singing constantly. Why? Because we, we see something in them. I remember, yeah, there's just so many, so many instances. I don't want to get into all the stories, I guess. But like, there's, there's, especially the ones that are troubled. A lot of times it's not that they're just like want to be bad. It's like they don't know who they are. They're, they struggle with understanding their identity in Christ, where they belong, where they fit. And it's our job as, as followers of Jesus, as those who are being discipled and are discipling, to give them vision and give them clarity and encourage them along the way. So when we look at this story, it's, there's also, remember uh, Hannah's story? She's like, prays, like, please just give me, uh, please give me a child. And as soon as she does, She's like, I'll give, them, I'll give them right back to you. And what does she do? She does. And these, these are amazing men of God that ended up getting used by God for his glory. And they go off and they become like staples of the faith because these mothers understood, you know what? This child, I'm gonna love the heck out of them, <laughs> but they're not, they're not mine. They belong to the Lord. So next time you're um, about to say, I brought you into this world, I could take you out, you, you, you can't, uh, in case you didn't know that. No, They belong to God. And I think it, it helps us uh, a lot of times to have more respect even for our kids and look at them like, man, you are an individual person that is, it has unique like quirks and thinking and all this, and I cannot control you. I don't want to control you. But I, what I do want to do is I want to lead you to Jesus in everything that I do and recognize you belong to him. And, and recognize, hey, you know what? I could end up with a kid with the, who's the best baseball player in the world. Who cares? I want them to love Jesus. And if they are the best baseball player in the world and that's their calling to love Jesus, great. They best, best whatever it is in the world. That there's nothing like training them up to recognize that they that, that it's life is about abiding in Christ and being used by him.
It's amazing to see, like, the light goes on. So we involve them in the things we do. We don't see them as nuisances. We see them as blessings. We bring them in. We train them along the way. This is how you change a spark plug. This is how you change your oil. You drive to this place and you give them $35. This is how you you navigate life. This is how you deal with hard things. This is how you deal with good things. This is how we work through it all. But we're, and, and through it all, we're remembering like that we have given, given an ability, especially, especially mothers. Mothers love their kids. It's just unbelievable, you know? And I know maybe you have bad examples of mothers that didn't. I don't know, you know, but like, when it's healthy, a mother's love for their child is unreal. Value them. See, see the value in them. Look at them clearly and go, what, who are you? What are you here for? What makes you tick? And then help them have a roadmap to how that could be used by God. Let's equip them. Make a way, even when it doesn't make sense. Make a way. Figure it out. Make a way for your kids. Show the effort. Show that you value them, you care about them enough to put your stuff on the side, right? Don't give up. Even there's some, you know, I know in this, even in this room, there's been some stories, right? And then you saw God bring them back. Don't give up. Keep on loving them. Keep on speaking life into them, even if they're surrounded by death. Keep speaking life into them. Keep on using the platform that you have. Anything that you can say, anything that you could do, Believing that God could do the miraculous. It's what he does. So don't give up on your kids. Enjoy the unexpected blessings. Like smell the roses. You know what they say? It's like you, all of a sudden you wake up and you're you're like exhausted. Like when you have little kids, you're just like, oh my goodness, I just want them to grow up a little bit. And then all of a sudden they start growing up too fast and you're like, stop. I don't want you to grow up too fast because then you'll be in the next category you know, but smell the roses. I've heard people say, and I really like it. Every age is a good age. Every age is a good age, but value. Think about that. Think about what would you, what would you have wanted? How could, how could you be blessed when you were that age? What would you have wanted someone to say to you? But I'm encouraging, enjoy the unexpected blessings, enjoy the seasons. And then remember, we got to remember that our kids don't belong to us. They belong to God. We've been given an awesome responsibility to raise them. So if you have a kid or if you're having a kid or you're going to have a kid, the kid that you have, God has, has given you that child because he thinks that you're the right people in him to raise them, to follow him. What an awesome calling. So moms, I want to encourage you. You're amazing. We all notice, you know, the dads, we've got a a much shorter, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We, We run out of patience much quicker, I think. Moms, you're amazing. Continue to trust Jesus as you're raising your kids. Continue to look at them as a blessing and continue to look at them as a calling. Remember, this is what we do. We get to do this. 
Kids aren't a nuisance. They're not a second thing. This is, this is our one-on-one discipleship. And if you want to know where your faith is at, ask your kids. They'll tell you. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.